Okay, we completed together our study of the Davidic Covenant, and we move now today to the fifth and final covenant that we're going to be studying together uh, as we go through the subject of the biblical covenants, and that is the New Covenant. We've looked at the Noahic Covenant, we've looked at the Abrahamic Covenant, we've looked at the Old Covenant, and most recently we have looked at the Davidic Covenant. And now today we come to the study of the climax and conclusion of all of the covenants, which is the new covenant. And of course, in the new covenant, all of the promises uh, and all of the blessings that are conveyed to us in the other four covenants are contained and comprehended and find their full fruition and their final expression. Now, we need to understand something very clearly, and it's this. The Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible, provides the background for the New Covenant and provides most of the information we have regarding the New Covenant. You would think since the New Testament is all about the New Covenant, you would find a ton of information about the New Covenant in the New Testament. In fact, 90% of everything we know about the New Covenant is found in the Old Testament. Okay? That's something you need to understand very clearly that if you want to understand the New Covenant, you've got to read the Old Testament. And so understanding the Old Testament statements about the New Covenant is critical to understanding the New Covenant. And thus, our memory verse today, which says, Paul says, Having therefore obtained help of God, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, God is helping Paul, right? I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and to great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Now, as Paul goes around evangelizing and witnessing with the help of God, what Bible is he using? Well, the answer is he's using the Old Testament because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And so consequently, he's saying that what I'm preaching is right out of Moses and the prophets and what they should say that should come and what Moses and the prophets say is that Christ should suffer that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and that he should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles or light to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Okay. So the point is, is that uh, what we say in the new covenant is really nothing new. What we say in the New Covenant is no other things than those which the prophets and Moses already have said would come. Now the New Covenant is new in that it wasn't inaugurated before the coming of Christ. And it's new in that it replaces the Old Covenant which was done away with. But it's not new in terms of God springing something on his people that they never ever heard of before. It's just new in that it replaces something that is old. And it's new in that 
it wasn't inaugurated uh, and implemented before the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so we need to understand then that the prophetic books of the Old Testament uh, contain important teachings that relate the Old and the New Testaments to each other, and they form a bridge between them. Now, if you look at your Bibles, your Bibles are broken up into uh, various groupings in terms of the Old Testament. And so we start out with the books of history, right? And so we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which trace history from the creation until Israel is standing on the brink of the promised land. And then we have Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, right? And uh, these are all books of history. Did I, did I miss Judges? It's in there, okay. Right after Joshua's Judges, okay. And then after uh, 2 Kings and or, if you will, 2 Chronicles, same, covered the same material, um, we have Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, right? And you know what? That's the end of the Old Testament. That's it. That's the end. Uh, actually, it's Ezra and then Nehemiah is the, is the last one. Esther fits in between those two books. And, uh, but, but you know that's not the end of your Old Testament because right after that comes what? Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Okay, which we call Job, right? The poetic books. And then, after that, you've got the prophets, the major prophets, which are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, okay? And then the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all those guys, okay? So the prophets are after the historic and the poetic books, and they are before the Gospels. Now, the thing about these prophetic books, both the major prophets and the minor prophets, is that in them, okay, is contained the vast bulk of the information about the New Covenant. So, Malachi is not the end of the Old Testament, really, Nehemiah is the end, because all of those prophets, without exception, starting at Isaiah and going all the way through to Malachi, that whole bunch of prophetic books, they all fit into the very last part of the historical chronology. And so all the prophets, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, or, or all the minor prophets, all of them fit into the time period of 2 Kings, the captivity, and Ezra and Nehemiah, which is right at the end of the history. So you've got all these thousands of years of history, and then right at the end of that history, boom, you've got this huge uh, prophetic ministry. And all the prophetic books are written uh, right at the end of the history of the Old Testament. And what do these prophetic books do? Well, they build a bridge between Nehemiah and Matthew. 
Now, <clears throat> that's the time period then which they spoke from the last days of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah through their captivity and exile to Babylon until the return of the remnant and the rebuilding of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. During that period, all those prophets lived and prophesied. Now, we need to understand what these prophets had to say at the end of Israel's history. And what they had to say is they had five major themes. And our book talked about that in chapter 13. If you read it this week, like I'm sure you all did, right? <laughs> you will recall what those five themes are, beginning on page 184. What did they say? Well, the first major theme that the prophets address is Israel's failure to keep the covenant with God. Now, you recall the old covenant was mentioned in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. And in that chapter, God says, if you will obey my commandments and keep my covenants, then you will be a special people to me. You will be a kingdom of priests. And he says, I'll pour out my blessings on you. So the Old Covenant had an if-then conditional clause in it. Basically, if you keep my law, I will bless you and own you as my special people. If you break my law, I will disown you and uh, reject you as being my special people. And that was the conditional nature of the Old Covenant. And the Old Testament bears abundant witness to the fact that Israel broke the Old Covenant again and 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 again throughout her history, okay? And God was gracious to forgive Israel and restore and forgive Israel and restore and forgive Israel and restore until finally the violations became so egregious that God could no longer abide and continue in this covenantal relationship with his people. And so he says, for example, in Jeremiah 11 and verse 10, the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Now, when they had broken the covenant, finally, fully, completely, and to the point where there is no remedy, God sends them to captivity in Babylon. Okay, so... Uh, the king of Babylon comes and, and of course, uh, the king of Assyria comes and conquers the northern kingdom, right, of Israel. And they go off to Assyria. And then a uh, uh, hundred years later or so, uh, the king of Babylon comes and, and conquers the southern kingdom, which is Judah and Benjamin. And uh, they're carried off to Babylon. All right. So now Israel is in her captivity. And while she's in captivity, uh, she is comforted by Isaiah and Jeremiah and um, Ezekiel, uh, and Daniel, and uh, several of the minor prophets uh, are all there, and they're basically telling Israel, look, God has not utterly forsaken you. Uh, There is coming a day of restoration. And even though God has, has brought this tremendous chastisement on you, don't give up hope. So the point is, is that Uh, the Israelites had cut themselves off from the special blessing, which could have been theirs as Abraham's descendants. And they made void the covenant promises that were given to them as a nation. And God, as a result, says this covenant isn't working. Uh, 
because of the weakness of one of the parties, and therefore we're going to have to do away with it. So that's one of the major themes of the prophets. You've broken my covenant, you're under my judgment. And so that was the second emphasis, the warning that God would bring judgment against sin. And of course, as you read the prophets, especially Isaiah, you see him announcing judgment against Israel for her sin. And then you see him announcing judgment against Assyria and Babylon for their sins in conquering Israel and Judah. And then in the context of those warnings to Israel and the nations around Israel about the judgments God is going to bring, he announces his worldwide judgment at the end of the world. And so one of the things that we have to do as we study the Old Testament prophets is we have to ask ourselves, what is the nature of this prophecy? Is it dealing with the immediate circumstance that existed back in that day? Or is it dealing with a future circumstance that's couched in the language of present circumstance? Because oftentimes when God would talk, for example, about the new heavens and new earth, he would talk about it in language that would convey um, uh, understanding to those to whom he was writing and so he would talk about tremendous physical and material prosperity far beyond anything that a sin-cursed earth would ever experience. And thus, it becomes clear that he's talking about not Israel's restoration to the land uh, back then, but he's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. So God is going to bring judgment on Israel, God's going to bring judgment on the nations, and God is going to bring worldwide judgment at the end of the age. And these themes of judgment are what also run through the prophets. So the first theme that runs through the prophets, you've broken the old covenant. Second theme that runs through the prophets, judgment is coming for you, for the nations, for the whole world. The third major theme that runs through the prophets is... Um, the fact that God is not going to abandon his people. He's going to restore them and transform them. And so God is going to take a faithful remnant from physical Israel. And he's going to make out of it an entire nation that knows him. And he's going to add to that faithful remnant a vast number of Gentiles, all of whom will also know him. And that new covenant community will be the new Israel. And so before, Israel was made up of both saved and unsaved people. You had people like Ahab, King Ahab, and people like King David, uh, both in the kingdom, one saved, one lost, but both in the covenant community. But what God is going to do is he's going to take a believing remnant out of Israel. He's going to make a new covenant with them, and he's going to bring in Gentiles into that new Israel made up of only saved people. And that new nation then will be his covenant community and unbelieving Israelites and, of course, unbelieving Gentiles as well will not be a part of that covenant community. Of course, unbelieving Gentiles never were, but at one point in history, uh, from the inauguration of the old covenant until the institution of the new, unbelieving Jews were part of the covenant community. To be part of the covenant community under the old covenant, you just had to be born 
a Jew and circumcised. And you were in, whether you were converted or not. And that's why the prophets spent all their time evangelizing the covenant community because three quarters of them weren't saved. And so that's one reason why Israel had such a hard time keeping the old covenant because they didn't have a heart for it because they didn't have regenerate hearts. So they were externally in the covenant, but, and they had uh, circumcision in their flesh, but they didn't have circumcision of heart, which means they were not regenerate. So anyway, these predictions of God uh, restoring and transforming his people with a new covenant uh, came to pass, of course, in God bringing back some of the remnant of Israel from Babylon. Uh, with that remnant, uh, God preserved his people and his community until Jesus came. Uh, Jesus instituted the new covenant with the 11 uh, believing apostles in the upper room after Judas was dismissed. And then, of course, they preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost and thereafter. And as a result, um, um, thousands and thousands of people became saved, uh, among whom were the Gentiles, um, starting with the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 under Philip, and then, of course, rank Gentiles with Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10. And then from there, uh, we have the story of Paul and his evangelism, which largely included the Gentiles. And uh, the Jews became just a small remnant of the covenant community, and the vast majority of them were made up of Gentiles. So uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. And this passage is a wonderful summary of this transformation that took place from the old covenant to the new covenant. Ephesians chapter 2 <clears throat> And, uh, of course, the Ephesians were largely Gentiles. They were uh, Greeks, um, largely. And um, it says to these Gentile believers, Ephesians 2.11, Wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, that is when you were Gentiles and uncircumcised, uh, you were without Christ. Messiah was not there for you. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, uh, that is the nation, the covenant community. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, Abrahamic covenant, um, the Davidic covenant, having no hope as a result, if you're not in a covenant relationship with God and you're not in the covenant community, you don't have any hope because you're without God in the world. So here's how important the covenants are, people. If you're not in covenant with God, you are not saved. And so is covenant theology important? You know, um, that's why we're not dispensationalists, okay? The Bible nowhere says, well, if you're not in the right dispensation, you don't have a relationship with God. <laughs> but it does say if you're not in the covenant, you have no hope and you're without God. He says, um, verse 13, but, I, I love the buts of Scripture. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes were afar off, that is clear outside the covenant community in a covenant relationship with God, are made near through the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, Gentiles, which were afar off, and to them, the Jews, that were near, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So what Ephesians here is declaring is, look, the Gentiles were completely outside God's covenant community, uh, God's covenant program, and a relationship with God vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, a covenant, which would have been the Abrahamic covenant, which was the saving covenant. Um, and uh, he says, but now you've been included. And that's the good news. Okay. So this inclusion of the Gentiles was prophesied in the Old Testament. In Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all the minor prophets, uh, it was prophesied. And so uh, what we see there is that God is, is very merciful to his people and he's going to bring this tremendous future uh, inclusion of the Gentiles into uh, the kingdom of God. Now, um, when God talks about the restoration of his community and the blessing he's going to bring upon it, uh, he often talks about it in terms of uh, restoration to the land, blessing in the land, security in the land, prosperity in the land, uh, safety and security in the land. And as God was talking about Israel coming back to the land, the predictions of the return to the land very often morphed into predictions of heaven because heaven is a land. You know, heaven is not sitting in a cloud somewhere floating around playing a harp. Heaven is the new earth. Okay, it's the new heavens and the new earth. Now, there is a place right now where God is and the Lord Jesus is and where the spirits of just men made perfect are awaiting the second coming of Christ and the construction uh, and establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and so what that place is, we don't know much about. Um, it appears to not be a, a material place like an earth, though it may be. We don't have any data about that. But the point is, is that, uh, for example, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 2, um, you'll see the kind of blessings that are being spoken of with reference to um, heaven and how that is um, couched in the language of Israel's return to the land. Isaiah chapter 2, spoken to a people who were in captivity. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Here's the word. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. So he, Isaiah is saying, look, yeah, the temple was destroyed, but a new one's going to get built. And when it gets built, 
the nations, not just the nation singular, the Jews, but all the nations, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, are going to flow to this temple. And many people shall go and say, verse 3, Come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, obviously, the prophecy in verse 3 hasn't come to pass yet, right? Okay. And so, as God talked about the people coming back to the land and rebuilding the temple, he also talked about the inclusion of the Gentiles and a condition of the removal of human depravity. Because when did war start? Well, as soon as sin entered the human race, right? Adam and Eve started attacking each other, and, and Cain attacked Abel and killed him. And people have been killing each other ever since with weapons of war. And they continue to do it to this moment. And they will continue to do it until the Lord Jesus returns. And we have the new heavens and the new earth. So here you can see how this language of earthly blessing uh, really morphs into a declaration of the new heavens and the new earth. And you can see this constantly in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the prophets, where they look forward to uh, the, 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 the literal restoration back to Israel under Nehemiah and Ezra. They look forward to Messiah's first coming, and then they look forward to Messiah's second coming and the new heavens and new earth. And it's all just telescoped together, often in the same verse. And that's why if you don't understand this covenantal structure and this eschatological progression, a lot of what's said in the prophets just doesn't make any sense at all. It's just like, this is crazy talk. How do these things go together? That's how they go together. The fifth um, theme that is in the Old Testament prophets is, of course, the prophecy regarding uh, the coming of Messiah. You know, as you read Isaiah, especially in the last chapters from 40 onwards, it is just saturated with promises and predictions regarding the coming of the Messiah. And whether it's Isaiah or whether it's Jeremiah or whether it's Ezekiel or Daniel or any of the minor prophets, what they wind up doing is they wind up saying, look, the blessings that are promised in the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant, even the old covenant, are all going to be fulfilled and realized in the person of Messiah and in the kingdom that he establishes both when he comes and when he comes again. And so uh, what we see is that with reference to the Noahic covenant, the mercy that was shown to Noah and the protection that was shown to him in the flood by God, that kind of mercy and protection is going to be poured out in the future upon the followers of Messiah. And then with reference to the Abrahamic covenant, uh, Abraham, of course, was promised uh, that he would have a seed and in that seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed. And of course, that was fulfilled in Jesus 
and the blessing he has brought to all nations through the redemption he supplied to all Gentile nations. And then with reference to the Davidic covenant, as we have seen, Jesus uh, is now the king. He's going to be uh, more fully the king when he returns the second time in terms of the manifestation of that kingdom. And then with reference to the old covenant, um, Jesus is going to bring uh, all the blessings that Israel forfeited in the Old Testament. You remember, uh, God promised Israel under the Old Covenant all kinds of, of material blessings, you know, peace in the land, a material prosperity, um, flourishing uh, society, culture, uh, healthy children, um, tremendous uh, showers of blessing upon Israel. Well, those are all going to be realized in the new heavens and the new earth. So whether it's the promises of the Noahic covenant or the Abrahamic covenant or the Davidic covenant or the old covenant, all of those blessings are going to find their fruition. We, we begin to experience them now and we will experience them in their fullness in the new heavens and in the new earth. And so what we see is that uh, as we look at the prophets, all of whom showed up at the very tail end of Old Testament history, what did they talk about? They talked about these five major themes. They talked about the theme of the fact that Israel had broken uh, the Old Covenant. It talked about the theme that God is going to bring judgment as a result both then and in the future. They talked about the fact that uh, the nation uh, is broken and therefore God is going to transform it and restore it and make a new people with a new heart. And they talked about the fact that um, God is going to bring tremendous future prosperity and blessing to this new covenant community that he's going to form. And then, of course, all of these blessings are going to be brought to pass through Messiah who is promised in these prophets. Now, I don't know about you, but as a young believer and up even until, you know, 10, 12 years ago, when I read the Old Testament prophets, they confused me. And the reason why they confused me is because I didn't understand the covenantal structure and perspective of the Bible. But as you come to understand that, then when you read Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and, and the prophets, it's like, oh, that's what they're talking about. And if you can take these five themes and keep them in your head, and as you read the prophets, ask yourself, well, what's being talked about here? How does this fit into God's covenantal program? Looking back at their violation, looking presently at their judgment, looking to the future of their transformation and restoration, and then looking to Messiah who's going to, to generate all this and its ultimate fulfillment in the new heavens and new earth, then it all makes sense. So as we go to study the new covenant, guess where we're going to be looking? In the prophets. 90% of the information about the new covenant is in the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and the rest of them. Okay? 
So that's where we're going to be looking. And if we don't look there, if we just start with our New Testaments and throw away the Old Testament, you're lost. You're absolutely lost in terms of being able to understand the New Testament. Okay, next time we're going to start out looking at the New Covenant itself in Jeremiah 31 and uh, following. Also, we're going to look at Ezekiel 36, okay? All right, well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for giving us hope in the midst of disaster. Father, Israel has uh, been defeated. They have been destroyed. They have been brought into captivity. And uh, Father, it just seems like everything, uh, all their potential has been eliminated. And yet in the midst of this darkest and most depressing and destructive condition, what happens is light springs up through the prophets. They begin to talk about what God is going to do in the face of Israel's failure. God is going to do a work and a wonder. And in that work and in that wonder, he's going to bring out of those ashes a new people with a new covenant and with a savior who will deliver them from their sins. And not just Israel, but that embrace of grace is going to reach out to all the nations and include them as well. Father, what a glorious victory you have achieved in the face of human failure. First of all, at the fall in Genesis 3, and then at the gross failure in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, when your people utterly fell away from you. Father, thank you for your saving grace. Help us to understand it and be able to rightly uh, interpret In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.